Hey, hey everyone, back again. Today we're gonna to talk about Martin Heidegger's The Question Concerning Technology, which is super complicated. Uh, and I'm gonna do my best to really give the, the essence, which is um, being funny here, to really provide the essence of this text to you to give you a good base from which to approach it if you're planning on reading it yourself or you just want the kind of uh, basic understanding of it. Now, before jumping into that, if you want to follow me anywhere other than here, you can find me on Instagram at theory underscore and underscore philosophy or on Twitter at David Guineo. If you want, um, and you're listening to this in podcast form, you'll be able to find the video on YouTube, or if you found this on YouTube, you'll be able to find the podcast form pretty much anywhere you get podcasts where there shouldn't be any ads. If you're new here, welcome. I'm David. I try to explain philosophical texts in a way that makes them accessible for you on your uh, philosophical journey. So if you're new here, like, share, subscribe, tell your friends, you know, I'd like to see you back. Leave a comment. I'd like to hear from you. Um, and yeah, if you want to help me out, like I said, like, share, subscribe. If you want to help me out monetarily, you can do that via Patreon or PayPal, but obviously no pressure. So first thing to really address, the elephant in the room, Heidegger was a Nazi, absolutely no question about it. He was anti-Semitic, uh, very much sympathetic to uh, the Nazi movement. And so we need to approach this text with knowledge of that. Now, does that mean that reading Heidegger makes you uh, at all sympathetic with those views? Absolutely not. But we should approach it while being critical of the ways that his philosophy might motivate, might speak to some of the basic themes of that political movement, if we can, you know, to be quite banal and calling out a political movement in that uh, violent attack on, on humanity. So we have to absolutely acknowledge that and be prepared to see the moments and to point out the moments in which his philosophy speaks to that, which I will try to do as we go through here. Now, I think it's important to set out what, in very kind of broad terms, what Heidegger is trying to do here. And what he's doing is trying to demonstrate or to provide for us what he feels to be the essence of technology. Now we're gonna get into this more in a little, into a little more detail as we go on, but I just wanna say here, what he means by essence, he takes from Plato and Plato's notion of the idea. Now the idea is the, the kind of concept around which possible manifestations of that concept might manifest themselves or might come into being. So for example, a spruce tree is different from an evergreen tree, which is different from a willow tree. You know, we have all these different trees around, or even if we were to look at an evergreen tree, between two different evergreen trees, no two evergreen trees are going to be the same. So we just kind of conveniently call them evergreen trees, even though they are actually incredibly different between one and the other. Or between a willow tree and an evergreen tree, we call them both trees because, you know, it's just for convenience sake. Now, that doesn't mean that it's totally like frivolous or nebulous or doesn't have actually any kind of real meaning. Rather, these different things, these different kinds of trees, all attain or kind of gravitate around the idea of a tree that is in our minds. So likewise, people build different houses. All houses are kind of um, built around the idea of a house, which we have in our head. Now, when we bring something into being, we are sort of, to some extent, realizing that idea, but it's never the idea itself because the idea that we have has to also 
uh, pertain and relate to all these other manifestations that are going to be different. So the willow tree is not the idea of the tree. The evergreen tree is not the idea of the tree, but the idea of the tree is the essence from which the willow tree, from which the evergreen tree is made possible, at least in our mind. Now, he's applying this idea of the essence to technology to try to find out what exactly is the essence of technology. Now, he plays with this idea a little bit, um, at least with the title. So, as the title might suggest in an in English form here, it, it suggests that what we are doing is questioning technology. We are, we are posing the question about concerning technology. But this could also be interpreted another way. It could be interpreted as the question of concerning technology. So what does that mean? Well, we can also interpret it as being Heidegger's contemplation on what I will just kind of vulgarly call oppressive technology or concerning technology, technology that is concerning for humanity and the world. So we can think about it in those two ways. And he wants us to kind of keep that tension alive throughout the course of this text because he is at the one time, at one time, calling attention to oppressive forms of technology, what he kind of calls modern technology, versus older forms of technology. And one way that this is going to play out is like the difference between uh, a mine versus like a windmill, where a windmill just moves with the current of the wind. It is kind of at the whims of the wind's movement or of wind's movement, whereas a mine doesn't see any limits. It just extracts and extracts and extracts with absolutely no uh, inhibitions. Now, do we see a kind of ultra-conservative mentality playing out here? Yes and no. It would be all too easy for us to say, oh, Heidegger is just wanting us to harken back to, or is just trying to harken back to a time before the present. You know, it's about getting back, you know, make technology great again type thing. That is absolutely not what he's doing here. He is instead demanding that we find the kind of galvanizing thread, the essence across all technology so that we may better approach technology. We may better question technology so that we can have a better relationship to it so that it doesn't end up controlling us, doesn't end up dominating us. And that is my big preamble. Let's get into the specifics here. So he sets the stage by considering technology. Now, when we consider technology, we aren't thinking about like gadgets or, you know, you think about your phone or you think about your computer. Technology is really anything. We're going to get into a little more detail as we go on, but my glasses are a technology. My clothes are a technology. Uh, if someone uses a walking stick, that is a technology. So to focus on any of these specific things is for us to lose sight of the bigger issue, which is finding this essence of technology. So we have to find out what what binds all of these things together, all of these different technologies together. So historically and philosophically before Heidegger, the idea of technology was formed or it was understood as being something that was treated as a means to an end. So the shovel isn't an end in itself. You don't get a shovel to have a shovel. You get a shovel as a technology in order for you to do something else, in order for you to dig a hole, which you can then use as a well or whatever you use it for. 
So my glasses are a means to an end allowing me to see. I don't wear glasses for the sake of wearing glasses. Uh, I, I guess some people might if there's a kind of stylish, but even then it's for you looking good in the eyes of someone else. So they are still a technology. They are something we use for something else. Now this is the traditional view of technology, the kind of thing that bound all technology together was its being used as a means to some end. But Heidegger wants to, dare I say, uh, deconstruct this split between means and ends to say, well, couldn't an end be a means? So for example, if I uh, wanted to build a well because I was thirsty, isn't that a means to me getting the shovel? So the means or the end actually precedes the means. That is the shovel, I don't just, the shovel just doesn't appear to me uh, one day totally out of the blue. It has only arrived because it is the consequence of my choosing that I need, you know, a shovel to do this thing. So it is an end to my thinking about what I need to arrive at some other end. So there's like an endless chain to some extent here that problematizes the idea that there's just there are just means in the world and then there are ends. Now this can also be said in terms of cause and effect, where there is a cause that produces some effect. And the effect when seen as desirable, like in the case of digging a well, can itself be a cause. So our wanting the well is the cause for our getting the shovel. So it's kind of circular, it's like an Ouroboros, the snake eating its tail, you know, endlessly. So in the, in the kind of history of philosophy, causes were taxonomized into four possible causes. That is the things that made uh, a, a, an effect possible, that made an end result possible, an end possible. So those are the causa materialis, which refers to the materials used. There's the causa formalis, which refers or is the kind of image of what the, the end result should be. There's the causa finalist, which is like the impetus for forming the object. And finally, there is the causa efficiens, which is the kind of actual creation of the object. And this idea has dominated, uh, was essentially dominated Western philosophy for a very long time. And Heidegger is totally dissatisfied with this because he's like, why is there only four? How do we possibly reduce this incredibly complex uh, phenomenon as cause and effect to these four possible causes. So he uses as an example the idea of a ch silver chalice that is used for like a religious ceremony. So there's the material that goes into the silver chalice. There's the impetus behind the silver chalice. There's the kind of craftsperson that makes the silver chalice. You know, there's the mold that the silver chalice goes and gives it, gives it its form. But Heidegger wants to ask, what about that which in advance confines the chalice within the realm of consecration and bestowal. In other words, what about the idea of wanting that chalice, that, that needing the chalice for this religious purpose, this religious ceremony, if you will. So in the case of these four causes, Heidegger wants to complicate them. Like he doesn't want to get rid of them entirely, he just wants to problematize them a bit. Now, in order to do this, he introduces a new term, and that is poesis. Now, poesis is the um, creation of something that is separate from yourself. So if I'm a craftsman, I, I design something, I build a kind of construct a silver chalice, I've made something separate from me, but it's something I've made. Now we can contrast that with physis, which is when something creates something from itself. 
for example, when a flower blooms. It blooms into this uh, you know, flower that comes from itself. Now, in poesis, when we create something, what we are doing is we are bringing the idea of a thing to life, what he calls the presencing of a presence. So we are presencing, we are making real, I'm just using that term very broadly, we are making real what was present to us in our mind, what we needed to make uh, in the world. And that's a very interesting operation for Heidegger because you don't, it's difficult to imagine that uh, without the kind of faculties that humans have that you can make something that is separate from yourself for a purpose that is in correspondence with an abstract image that you had. But I don't know, I'm not, a, I don't know what, how animals work, but in any case, it's always uh, wanting to complicate this idea of cause and effect. Now he calls this as well, not, not just a presencing of a presence, but a bringing forth of something into appearance. So he's bringing forth this idea into appearance, into reality, into unconcealment. So it's not being concealed anymore in uh, obscurity, it comes out into the light of day. Now, those four causes that we were presented with are all in the service of this act of bringing forth, of making something appear, making something unconcealed. So he's now reducing these four causes to this more abstract idea of bringing forth, which is poesis, right? Creating something separate from yourself. And as a result, bringing forth then contains within it not only the four causes, but also the effect, because the effect is that the thing coming out of it, right? So bringing forth encompasses both the cause and effect. So here we are starting to form a more abstract idea, getting toward this thing called the essence of a technology as a cause and, and an effect, as we've already complicated that. So technology is then not just a cause. It is a way of revealing. And the term that he uses from uh, Greek is, I'm not gonna pronounce it right, but it's aletheia, which is a bringing into reality, a revealing, so as to make apparent and make possible the thing's truth. That is, it's the concordance between the thing's actuality, it's coming into being, and the idea of it. And the association of this process with technology makes sense etymologically because technology comes from the Greek term for techne, which is referring exactly to this act of bringing forth, of revealing. But it also referred to, at the time, to the arts. So it was like bringing, um, bringing art into the world as well could apply here. And I, and I should add, just by way of a necessary qualification, that the value attached to this is in the fact that the thing that's brought into being couldn't have done so on its own. So a silver chalice would never come into being on the Earth alone. That would never happen. Like, we aren't finding silver chalices on Mars. We needed kind of human intervention to bring something like that into being, bringing it forth into uh, the light of day, to Aletheia, which is like bringing it uh, into its truth. So how does this change with the thing called modern technology, because we've been discussing it kind of etymologically, looking at its roots back to Greek times. How does this relate to what we are seeing or what he was seeing with modern technology? Well, he says that modern technology is still a kind of revealing. It's a, it's a bringing forth, but it is also a challenging of. So it's not just 
the demonstration of techne, that is the creation of something from any kind of resources you might have. It is the introduction of what he calls an exact science into techne, so as to perfect the act of revealing. Now, in its perfection, what we then see is not the demonstration of a bringing forth for the sake of that thing's Althea, it's coming into its own truth, but rather what we see is a new value attached to the very act of, uh, of technology itself, of techne itself, not for what it does in terms of bringing into being, but in its raw power as technology. So this is where we get the distinction between the windmill and the coal mine. The coal mine is just like digging up the earth without any uh, inhibitions, whereas the windmill is just moving with the earth's, what I will say, natural rhythms. It does not take any more that it, than it can, that is, until it, until it breaks. Uh, but with the, in the case of the mine, it just extracts to no end. Now, when we extract to no end, what that allows for is the possibility of storage. So we can then store the thing that we are bringing forth, we are extracting. Uh, in the case of coal, we are just we just sit upon stockpiles and stockpiles of the thing. And that isn't the demonstration of a thing coming into its truth, it is a thing being dominated. Now, this only was portended, was portended, only follows the initial domination of nature through its endless extraction, its kind of endless dominance. So now revealing, now bringing forth Aletheia has a new sequence and it goes like this. First, unlock nature's energy. Secondly, transform it. Thirdly, store it. Fourth, distribute it. And then finally, it has been effectively changed. Its essence, it's, it's kind of, uh, it has been ontologically altered in accordance with these different methods of the technological bringing forth of the thing, not for the, the sake of that thing coming into being into its own truth, but for its to sake to be dominated by the very logic of its uh, objectification for the sake of something else. Now, how does this differ from, let's say, uh, someone cutting down a tree to get wood for a fireplace? Well, in that act, there is I think, and you know, we get a certain romantic side here to Heidegger, of course, and this is where it can get problematic, obviously, but we get a more fruitful attachment to the tree at hand that we are cutting down, and that we can only take from it what our body's um, kind of natural energy as well is going to allow for. It's not like 24-7, we are going to have extraction just for the sake of extraction of like lumber that is going to just be consumed uh, without any kind of respect to it or to its uh, history. So whereas technology was previously, and, and the things being uh, bringing forth were autonomous, they had their own kind of truth being realized, now they are placed under the domination of humans. And in that case, they stop being even objects. They, they start just being nothing things, uh, what he calls as being part of a standing reserve just for the sake of being uh, there in case one day they might need to be used in this kind of endless stockpile of standing reserve that doesn't actually have any meaning on its own. So what happens to the human in all of this, in this dynamic? Is this something that only affects technology and the things that technology makes? No, not at all. This affects humans as well. So whereas with older tech or without tech, whenever humans think 
share ideas, uh, engage with one another, they are forming this kind of, or engaging in this kind of uh, reciprocation that signals a kind of physis and, and even a poesis or a coming into newness of, of certain things with, or that is contingent, I should say, upon a recognition of others. And we get we get some kind of strands of Hegel in here as well, or some, some resonances of Hegel's philosophy here. But when the things around us have been reduced to less than objects, that actually affects our relationship not only to others, but to ourselves as well. So this is the moment that humans start to participate in what he calls inframing, which is an ordering of the world instead of respecting the world as autonomous, as having its own, uh, its own on autonomy and all things within it being autonomous. It then comes down to humans dominating that world. So this is no longer a bringing forth into Althea, into the thing's truth, but it is a bringing forth as ordering. Now here is revealed a tension within Hegel's uh, philosophy here, and this is something that he recognizes. How can he actually differentiate that those other acts of technology from these new ones? because it would seem like in framing could apply to both in that when you create an axe, you are submitting it to a kind of ordering uh, of the axe. And I will just say that I don't think he fully untangles this problem, but let's, let's go with what he said. Now remember that the difference between technology and modern technology was the introduction of a kind of exact science that made that possibility of ordering uh, possible. Now, it would be wrong to say that this exact science is what turned technology into modern technology. And he flips the script here, he performs a kind of deconstructive thing where he says, well, actually, the very logic of inframing, this ordering of the world, potentiated the technology of exact sciences, of physical sciences, that made modern technology possible. So this logic preceded the formation of the exact science that would then be used by technology to be better, uh, to be more efficiently mobilized for the extraction of the world's resources. And that essentially allows for the world to be revealed as standing reserve, as under the dominion of human power, of, of human want and need. So we still haven't really established what the essence of technology is, but we know that there are certain consequences to these changes in technology. And one of the added consequences is that it changes what we are as humans, but specifically it alters our relationship to freedom and what freedom means for us. Now freedom, he says, is not freedom from law or freedom to submit to laws. He says that freedom is quite specifically the human capacity to bring things into being, not you know, to make a thing uh, totally apparent because there's always going to be a distance between the idea of the thing and the thing as it comes into the world. But the freedom happens or freedom happens when a thing is brought into being, into actuality, when it is uh, respected for its having a kind of veil. That is, it's never going to appear to us as exactly the way it was meant to appear because we'll never know. And we get resonances of Kant here as well, but that's not totally important. But the thing will always be removed from itself. Now, freedom is the capacity to respect that unknown of the object. So this, or at least this freedom, demonstrates itself in a human capacity of listening and hearing. That is not, not telling, right? You don't tell the object what it is. You don't tell the other what they should be. 
there is a respect implied here and it is not an, an obeying like it's not about uh, you know submitting yourself to authority it is about acknowledging the autonomy of others of objects of the world in its own terms so there is always a risk here there's the risk that the thing once it is revealed doesn't actually match the idea and there's that you know the, like the possible crisis that will come from that but also in the case of modern technology when things are just brought forth for the sake of standing reserve to be kind of made less than objects there's the risk then that humans as well will become standing reserve they will turn into uh, objects for other humans which of course is ironic given his attachment to nazism but that he was not a good person and that's just the way it is now in this that is in seeing the world as a nail right you know if you're a hammer you see the world everything as a nail what actually happens is there's a kind of self-exaltation of humanity as being this superior uh you know being on the planet like going around dominating everything which is bad for heidegger he doesn't want that because that signals a loss of respect a loss of the capacity to listen and hear which would signal a loss of freedom so the problem then and the the essence of technology as we are understanding it is in this bringing forth this capacity to bring forth but also in this enframing which isn't a good sort of bringing forth it's it's bad it's an ordering that uh, doesn't respect the thing's autonomy now in this essence of technology which we've kind of we've approached but we still have to introduce one more element about it in this essence is revealed the kind of binding thread between old technology and, and modern technology but what's also a part of it is not only the negative side that we've been putting forth here that is in how technology going into modern technology has only been embracing this idea of enframing this ordering, this bringing forth for the sake of not the thing itself, it's Aletheia, but for the sake of domination, what we have as well is the concomitant saving power of the essence of technology that is found in both old technology and modern tech. So it's not as though we're just doomed. We're not just determined by these technology technologies, but given the fact that they are bound by this essence, what we see as well was the for that negative sides undoing but this requires reflection now wh what is this kind of saving power that he describes the saving power corresponds in to put it really in the way that he does it represents the mysterious element of technology in that technology's capacity to bring forth to make into reality is bound in part by the impossibility of ever realizing the idea and so there's going to always be a kind of disconnect as i've already said but in that what we are presented with is a great mystery of why you know we we do it at all and in technology and what technology is capable of at all and this is in part part of the truth of technology is the mystery of it and he's as he says behold the mystery of the constellation of these technologies what they actually provide in that there's always the capacity to move forward it's a, it's about moving beyond what technology is even doing at any given time that makes technology technology so it's part of its kind of essence is that it's always going to be adapting and changing and with that will come 
more oppressive forms of it through in framing, but also less oppressive ones, which is, just contributes to this great mystery of what technology necessarily is. However, if in framing goes too far, that is this ordering goes too far, then there's the risk that this mystery will be purged in favor of a kind of uh, be put under the spectral light of this exact science, of this rationalism that's going to give uh, kind of identity to everything and make everything clearly known and understood, evacuating it of its own essence that is not always going to make sense to us. It's not always going to be totally clear because it is its own thing and it might not actually speak to us. And so he ends this by essentially pleading for us to always be critical of technology and to always be questioning its use and how it is being mobilized, whether or not it's retaining the idea of the mystery or trying to put that mystery to death. Because one of those things is a lot better in that it motivates creation, whereas the other just submits the world to a kind of imperial authority. And yeah, that more or less covers it. I would love to hear anyone else, uh, what you might have to say about it, anything that you think is important to add. Um, if you like what I did, like, share, subscribe, leave five stars or a review on a podcast platform, that'd be great. And yeah, catch you next time.